1: In March, schools across this province closed their doors to protect students from COVID-19. They've only just started to reopen as teachers and principals prepare for a staggered start that began for some today. Premier Doug Ford says they've pulled out all the stops, spared no expense, thrown everything at this problem. Teachers, parents and students still have questions and a few doubts. Let's see if we can get some clarity for them from Ontario's Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce. He is the PC member for King Vaughan, and he joins us now from his ministry office on University Avenue across from Queen's Park. And, uh, Minister, it's good to have you as our first guest for this, our first program of Season 15. I would just like to start with this. What is the most up-to-date information you have as to what percentage of students are going to be back in the classroom at some point this month as opposed to learning online?
0: You know, we're estimating about 75% of students uh, will be in class, the remainder online, and see we're the only province in the country that I'm aware of that have a credible, concurrent program of teaching both remotely and in class. That's a strength. And I'm grateful to the teachers doing uh, education online and in class, providing that mentorship and leadership at a time when young people need it.
1: What does that 75% number say to you about the level of confidence people in Ontario have with your plan?
0: Well, I, I don't uh, you know, presuppose what's happening in individual homes, Steve. You know, as you can appreciate, there are many parents with uh, immunocompromised children or, or respiratory uh, challenges that the parent may have or living with an aging parent or grandparent. I mean, we have to be respectful of parents' choice, and we have been. What I can tell you is that a critical mass are choosing in-class learning. That is positive. It will be safe. But we've also strengthened the online option because we believe that we shouldn't have an unequal system of learning. We need to bridge that gap and then make sure the young people get access to their teacher through live synchronous learning, which is the basis for us expanding dramatically the expectations, putting 75 percent of that learning experience to be done live uh, Zoom style learning, which we think is important.
1: Okay, I guess I should say in fairness that that darn near everybody I talk to thinks kids ought to get back into the classroom, Uh, you know, provided it can be done safely, that it's important to get kids back into the classroom. Um, I guess what I want to know is you've been taking advice from all sorts of people to make sure that can happen safely. When is the last time you had a significant and or meaningful conversation with the teacher representatives, either the head of the elementary teachers union or the secondary teachers union to get their advice?
0: Well, I've uh, tasked the ministry uh, to be in constant contact with our uh, partners on the ground, including our educators, uh, likewise our unions, and of course our school boards. We've had over roughly 200 meetings since we closed schools in March with our teacher federations. We value their opinion, their front line. What about you, though, Minister?
1: When's the last time you spoke to the heads of the teacher unions?
0: I would have reached out to them. Of course, I would have done outreach to them in the summer. uh, We had points of contact. Uh, particularly starting on the first day when we closed schools, reaching out to them to affirm the importance of cooperation. And I think what I've underscored to them throughout the pandemic is that we're prepared to listen. But of course, the default's got to be the medical leaders when dealing with a, a pandemic. And that's what we've done. We've made sure that that frontline perspective is being re- is being reflective of our plan, that the best of our problems is reflected from an educational perspective, but most importantly, I think what parents expect is the focus on the health and safety of the kids, both mentally and physically, which is the basis for our plan and those investments and those layers of prevention that we've unveiled.
1: Well, you say you're prepared to listen, but of course, if if you had been listening, you would know that they are saying, that they have grave doubts about your plan, that they think 30 kids, as many as 30 kids in a classroom is far too many. They are dubious about the amount of distancing that can take place and whether, of course, I shouldn't describe them this way, but, you know, (laughs) snot-nosed kids who are going to be bringing all sorts of who-knows-what into the classroom with them, whether that can work. Uh, Have you listened carefully enough to the advice that they've proffered? You
0: know, we have been listening across the board, and I think what parents expect us to do, is to ensure that the evidence, science, and medical uh, direction triumphs in the context of a pandemic. I mean, we appreciate our frontline workers very much, uh, but I would submit that the Chief Medical Officer of Health, the foremost and senior most authority in our province that has ably guided our cabinet in our province through the worst of this pandemic, has given his stamp of approval. And I think Dr. Williams' endorsement, uh, along with many other leading uh, doctors, including Uh, You know, Dr. Moed, who is the former chief medical officer, uh, have been clear that the plan with layers of prevention in place can keep kids safe. And we're going to continue to listen to those doctors because we have to be responsive to the risk, which is the basis for our investments in nursing, for example, and more cleaning in testing and of course in in vigorous screening of children before they even enter the schools.
1: You're quite right, Dr. Williams has given this, the good housekeeping seal of approval. However, maybe you could explain to people why, I mean, I'm just gonna pull this out of thin air here. You know, um, apparently you can't have more than 50 film goers in a cinema that could seat 400 because of concerns of everybody sitting too close together, but you can put 30 children in a class designed for 30 and that's okay? How does that make sense? Well, I
0: mean, first off, just the context of what differentiates the experience in our schools, unlike in that theater, we will have cohorts, meaning a staff member in a school will interface with the same group of students. Uh, It can be in high schools, for example, in the GTHA will be actually 15 to be uh, more precise in those adapted uh, uh, models that we've imposed on those boards because of the risk. And in elementary, we've seen classroom reductions uh, uh, down province-wide, below the averages, we've really encouraged boards to do that, and they've been funded to enable them to do that. But going back to the question, in schools, an educator will see the same 15 to 20, 25 students each and every day cohorted. They have access to public health nurses, which of course that cinema would not, access to testing on site if public health wants to uh, bring in that mobile capacity. That will not exist. We're masking in our schools, which no province has within the classroom, there's many differentiating elements. What's important about our plan is that we've adhered to the public health advice, the overwhelming emerging evidence that you can't look at this in isolation, one-off policy. There's got to be a suite of actions, what, what, they, what many of the medical community will call layers of protection. And we have brought in a comprehensive, fully fund that will enable us to get these kids back, as you said. Uh, and as I think many people recognize, it's just so important for the young people's development, for their mental health, their resiliency, that they get back into schools.
1: No, I take your point on the issue of comparing it to cinemas. But on the other hand, if the idea is to prevent outbreaks of COVID-19 in schools, surely it's common sense that the fewer people you put into a classroom, the less likely you're going to get a COVID outbreak. If that's the case, why would you not want cohorts that are smaller as opposed to larger?
0: Well, it was our government that did two things to enable smaller cohorts. And smaller classrooms, more distancing. First off, we imposed on those higher risk communities, quite a few to be quite fair, right across the GTHA and others, uh, we imposed uh, children in those high school classes, no more than that, cohorted all day. Uh, we've also given boards north of $170 million Uh, just in the last month we gave an additional 30 million The month prior we're talking about 200 million dollars to hire more staff and all school boards have utilized those funds provincial dollars some federal dollars and even reserve funding and together that's enabled them to reduce those classroom sizes. In Toronto, for example, they've imposed a cap of students of 15 in those higher-risk communities. Well, let me show our, some pictures you of know. that.
1: You, you, because you took a field trip the other day, and I and I, I want to actually put a picture up right now to indicate. There's Premier Ford uh, in a school. I think this was Kensington Community School downtown, and this looks like a very bright. Uh, you know, well-distanced. The desks look very far apart. I hope you can see this picture as well that we've put up here. Uh, but the, the desk looks far, far apart. It, you know, it, it looks like a good, safe classroom. And this was the field trip that you and the Premier took uh, last week. However, you know, here's a different shot that a different teacher took of a Kingston High School classroom the same day. He told us he's expecting 32 to 34 kids to be in his grade 12 class. And the space between the desks is a half a meter not one or two meters which is the recommendation minister how safe does that classroom look to you
0: uh well first off uh what i've indicated about those early images uh on one hand uh we were told uh, that school boards have yet to finalize their um uh, the number of staff and students within the schools because parents have yet to many parents, there's still five to ten percent of parents who've yet to make that determination. So on one hand, we're dealing with uh, school boards having to reprofile the number of students and staff. Some educators are now being moved to online based on the amount of parents that have opted their children to go remote. The point is, in the context of that photo, Uh, what we expect is once those timetables have been adjusted, once those ratios have been known, and once that information has been shared with the school board, we actually expect uh, school boards to change those uh, realities, reduce the classroom size, repurpose educators. Right now, they're in an unusual position of having to assume, sort of consolidate certain classrooms together in the absence of having a critical mass. Now that more educators, now that more parents are making those decisions it'll allow them to sort of reconstitute those groups uh spread them out more and ultimately ensure we get that distancing as well as the masking
1: so let me just be sure i'm I'm clear on what you're saying here i mean admittedly that kingston class has not started yet but are you Mm -hmm. saying that once it does that the picture we just showed would be unacceptable in stephen lecce's ontario is that fair to say
0: what i'm What I'm suggesting is that there needs to be uh, distancing in addition to the masking and the hand hygiene, the foundational elements the chief medical officer has requested. School boards know our expectation. They are working around the clock uh, to deliver that. And they continue to do hiring in real time. What we expect is now that we have a better sense of the numbers of students in class and likewise online, time to hire those teachers. Right now, some classes are consolidated because we don't have final numbers. Once that number is known, Steve, and we know that there's another 18 students in grade seven, well then that's gonna enable the school board to hire another educator, homeroom teacher, and split up any of those classes that have been consolidated to date.
1: Okay, I understand. That's
0: essentially just a holding pattern. So those changes will happen.
1: I understand. What about using uh, community centers or libraries, or who knows, even before the weather gets cold, uh, just holding classes outdoors? Are those options being pursued?
0: Absolutely, our, our guidance encourages outdoor experiential learning. A Toronto School Board, for example, has made that a priority among many other boards. We're really encouraging educators to get outside. It's important for air quality. Um, of course, we're improving air ventilation in the province, and we've allocated 1.4 billion dollars, well before uh, the summer, we give boards that funding to improve air quality, HVAC systems with short and medium-term projects, and they're all doing that. Every single board in the province has done that, and then we add an additional 50 million dollars. Uh, on top of the reserve funding we've unlocked for boards to do that. So we're encouraging a different delivery of education, recognizing to be a little different this year, but I can tell you that uh, many educators are gonna be looking to the outdoors in the fall and the spring uh, and alternate community spaces. The City of Toronto, uh, the Ministry of Infrastructure Ontario in our province, we're all working with different school boards, and municipalities across Ontario to offer up community spaces. And some school boards have done that. Many schools have just repurposed their cafeterias, their libraries, in any ancillary space in the school for the purpose of delivering classes uh which is very prudent and we're good we're happy to see that in fact when i was with the premier at that school um you know we actually saw many uh let's say innovative spaces that were normally for academic purposes being repurposed and i think that really helps to build confidence to see principals be uh, just adapting to the the requirements
1: okay let me ask you uh I, I think one of the more controversial decisions you and your team has had to make during the course of all of this which is not requiring students to get an all-clear COVID-19 test if they have had to leave the school out of concerns that they might have COVID-19. Why did you make that decision?
0: Well, the, the all the medical outbreak protocols and our health guidance has been informed and developed by the medical community, just so we're clear. I mean, Cabinet has endorsed it and supported it. What we have said is, you know, local health authorities at times will, in fact, say to the students or the cohort or the class or a section of the school that a test may be required. Um, so that is a that can be compelled and directed by the local health authority. I think what we've said though, is it's not always going to be the case because it's based on the risk and the proximity of those other students to that child that may have a, a potential case of COVID or in some cases, a positive case of COVID. Either way, the solution is screening Isolation and when required, yes, of course, public health is going to encourage students to get tested. Likewise, educators. We've massively as a province improved our testing capacity, reaching anywhere between 26 000 to 30,000 tests per day, uh, reducing the wait times related to that test. And our testing regime is, is also enhanced, Steve, by the fact that we are unveiling asymptomatic testing of high school students in this province, which is another unique differentiator that will in in part help mitigate risk. And we've gotten uh, doubling the public health nurses within our schools, which again, just for context, but 460 odd public health nurses in schools as of let's say 2019, well this year, we're gonna have an additional 625. I mean, it's a significant increase. It's gonna add a difference, make a difference for our, our educators on the ground And likewise for the kids, just to make sure that there's someone there to support with symptom relief. Okay, well, let me
1: ask you about those educators then. You mentioned educators on the ground, and I want to ask about them. If a teacher feels that he or she is not safe in a classroom, maybe they can't get the desks more than a meter apart. Uh, Who knows? Maybe the school ran out of masks. Who knows what the reason is? If they feel they are unsafe in a classroom, can they decline to go to work in Stephen Lecce's Ontario?
0: Well, in the province of Ontario, obviously, the Ministry of Labour sends in inspectors based on a complaint basis. So when there's issues raised, the Ministry of Labour and the Minister of Labour has said very much that this process arm's length uh, will absolutely be followed through on any complaint. There will be a rigorous review. The safety of our staff and the public and private sectors is critical. And of course, I know employers, in this case, boards, not the Ministry of Education, take that responsibility seriously for their staff. They're very committed to that sort of education family, want to keep them safe, which is the basis for why we're providing all teachers training. Okay, what would you say to teachers then? As well as PPE.
1: You know that there are some teachers, we saw this story the other day, there are some teachers who are updating their wills. There are some teachers who are very nervous out there. I guess, particularly if you're a teacher in your 60s, this would be um, particularly concerning. What message do you have for them
0: well i look i appreciate that you know there's a great level of angst across the population i mean we're looking especially you know, in, in the united states looking at images that are very distressing i think for all of us as a as a society i think my message is to you just point to the fact that canada and ontario uh, are uniquely positioned to respond our track record as a people and as a government to date has allowed us to fundamentally help reduce the risk. We've seen the flattening of that curve over time because we've listened to Dr. Williams, because we've adhered to public health advice, because we've all done our part. And my message to educators is if we continue to work together as a society and ensure an absolute adherence to public health advice uh, in our schools, in our playgrounds, in our communities, that they can be safe. And that's our aspirations, our commitment. And I want them to know we've got their back. It's why we're giving them access to full PP covered by the province. It's why we're training them on health and safety. It's why we have more nurses on site. And it's why we're enhancing our testing capacities. so that if they feel that they want to be tested on a regularized basis, they can be.
1: Okay, Minister, I, I know you've got a crazy busy day, so I'm going to let me just ask you one last question. If the plan that you have laid out uh, works and we have, I mean, nobody's expecting perfection, but if we have relatively few cases of COVID-19 in the schools and the year is able to proceed fairly safely, you will, uh, with justification, I would say, take the credit for a good plan put forward. If this doesn't work, if the schools become, I don't want to say overrun, but if we get too many cases of COVID-19 and the medical officer of health gets concerned and says to you and the premier, I'm sorry, but you've got to shut the schools down again, will you take the blame?
0: Look, I think what I will point to consistently is that the risk in our schools is reflective of the risk within our communities. And we have a responsibility and moral obligation as a society, as a civil society, to make sure that we do everything humanly possible to enable a child to learn in this province. And so I think what I would point to historically as a people as a province that our people have led the way the premier says this all the time. It is not him. It's not, you know, any one politician. It's the population doing their part, sacrificing. I get you, but you're uh, the
1: education minister. And I suspect people want to hear the buck stops with me. If it works, I'm going to take the credit. If it doesn't work, I'm responsible.
0: Well, no, I'm not here to uh, uh, to take credit. I'm here to simply provide a protocol That will enable students to be safe the benchmark of that is if we can get kids to continue learning in our province we have many uh, backstops to ensure that's the case from an online perspective but as i've indicated off the top the risk in our schools is reflective of our community and if we continue to keep that risk down if we continue to do our part we could ensure with success that our kids can learn and do so in a safe manner and i think that's important uh, for them for their mental health and the resilience um, of them. And likewise, important for the parents of this province that want to get back into the labor market for the f- have yet to do so. So, this is important for a variety of reasons. We'll continue to listen to the chief medical officer. This plan is comprehensive, it's fully funded, it's evidence informed, and we'll continue to be there for our students. We'll do whatever it takes. If we have to scale it up, Steve, we will do more to respond to the risk
1: this fall. That's Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education for the province of Ontario. Minister, we are grateful that you spared so much time for us tonight on TVO. Thanks and good luck.